that heaviness for his garment of praise. Hallelujah. And so, Father, our prayer is just as the song said. Your spirit is welcome here. And we know that you were here before we ever arrived. So we ask the eyes of our heart are open tonight to receive not just what's delivered across the pulpit, but the very words that you're going to share in the lives and the hearts of every single person that is here, as well as those who are listening on SoundCloud. God, we're trusting you for every word that goes forth, with every life, with every decision, with every situation that we're facing. God, we say that we need you. As each day goes by, we need you more and more. We don't take you for granted. We don't take your blessings for granted. We are grateful to be in your family, to be your children to know that we'll never grow up and we'll always be your child. And as a good father, you'll always take care of us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everyone says, Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Thank you, music ministry, for being led of the Spirit on tonight. And as you all are seated, I'm going to ask that you go to the book of John chapter 1. This will be our springboard tonight, John chapter 1. And we'll be reading starting at verse 14. John 1 and verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Tonight I'm led, and I'll tell you the title in just a moment, but I'm I'm led to minister a a revelation that I received a couple years ago that has just continued to unfold in my life as each day passes by. And I'm led tonight to take you all through the journey that I personally went through some four years ago when I first heard of the revelation of grace. We see here that in John 1.14, it says the word became flesh, who we all know is Jesus. You can read in John chapter 1 previously to bear that out with context. But I want you all to notice that it says Jesus is full of grace and truth. That is very significant because when we talk about the revelation of grace, we're not talking about a message. We're not talking about a topic. We are referring to a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And this message I believe, is fought by the enemy, number one, on one hand, because he doesn't want people to know how easy it is to be a follower of Jesus and to walk in everything God has. But the other device that he uses is for religion. It takes away self-performance and bragging because of the good things that we do. 
If there's anything in our life that's good and we can take credit for it, chances are God didn't grace us to do it. But the good things in your life that you can't take credit for is a reflection of God being with you every, in every area of your life. As we go on to look at John 1 and 14 even deeper, the, the, the denotation here of Jesus being full of grace and truth implies that grace comes from Jesus, who is the source of an unlimited supply of grace. I want you all to write this not only down on on your tablets, but I want you to write this in your heart. You can never run out of grace. You can never exhaust God's grace. No matter how bad and how far and how ugly things get, you haven't even scratched the surface to God's goodness in your life. And tonight I'm going to ask you, if you would, please take this journey with me for the time that we have to talk and the time that we have to share. I'm not going to rush any information tonight because I want this revelation to be like a time-release bomb that even if tonight in the service it doesn't click, there's going to be a moment as you go over the notes from tonight's message that it's going to be like a light bulb that, that goes off inside of your heart and inside of your mind that you'll reach a point in your Christian walk where there's no more turning back. Once you've tasted the goodness of God, you don't have an appetite for anything else. And I believe it's our responsibility as ministers, as pastors, as leaders to not only teach grace, but to demonstrate grace in everything that we do. The world doesn't want another sermon. The world wants a person to live out the word that they're proclaiming to others. And so it's it's important for us to first receive this grace. And when we truly receive this grace, this grace will then promote us to do things in line with the word of God. So let's keep reading in uh, John, let's drop down to verse 16. And it says, and of his fullness we have all received. Everybody say, I have received received. the fullness of grace grace. the moment moment I became born again. again. Now the fullness of grace, and then it goes on to say, and grace for grace. What that means is that the word grace there is in the Greek charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. It says we receive charis on top of charis, on top of charis, on top of charis, on top of charis. And how many of you all know that when you get to the point of overflowing, you don't have a choice, but it's just going to come out. And so the issue in churches is not do people know grace. But have they truly received that revelation in their hearts? And the only way to know is they live it subconsciously. It's one thing to know the word. People know the word. People know the Bible. People can quote scriptures. And we can put scriptures over our entire house and on our refrigerator and on our cell phones, on our tablets, everywhere that we go and quote them. But if we don't receive the word that we're quoting, we're just wasting our time. And so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want us to understand that there is so much grace for you that I pray tonight your eyes open and you begin to walk in that grace. 
It says in Grace for Grace, for the law was given through Moses, and that's important. The Mosaic law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. The title of tonight's message is Radical Grace. Radical Grace. So before any person can go and have a successful conversation, we must first define the terms. And when I use the word radical, the definition of radical is far-reaching and thorough. Far-reaching and thorough. Grace as defined as receiving it in its fullness and grace for grace, that word grace there means undeserved love in action. And so if we put the title together in its definition, tonight we're going to talk about the far-reaching, thorough, undeserved love of God in action. Now I want you all to notice a word right there, undeserved. Because we've been taught at times, and I know at least when I was coming up in the things of God, that in order to get good, I I have to, what? Do good. Well, if I get good because I do good, then that means I deserve good, which then doesn't qualify me for grace. How many of us know without God first initiating the relationship by sending Jesus, none of us would have ever found Christianity. So that means for once and for always, God is the initiator. Now, before we go forward, I want to also clarify this as well. When I'm talking about grace, I'm going to tell you what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about an excuse for bad behavior. And I'm not talking about an excuse for human responsibility. So we're going to be very practical, very balanced. The way you balance grace is not with law. You balance grace with more grace. It's the only way for it to be balanced. So let's just, let me come down to where we all are at. The reason why the revelation of grace is taking such a hit is that people are using it as a card to just go sin. And so when we immediately say grace, it's like, oh, there we go. We're going to talk about we can do whatever we want to do, and God loves me and you too. It's not what I'm referring to. Titus chapter 2 talks about the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. All right, so let me slow down even more. There are three words I want you all to always remember. There's grace, there's mercy, and then there's consequence. There's grace, there's mercy, and then there's consequence. The fallacy of grace comes in when we put the wrong definition in the wrong place. For instance, I was driving 65 in a 30. The policeman pulled me over on the side of the road. He came to me and gave me a warning. Most people call that grace. That is not grace. Grace would have told you at about 45, you need to slow down. 
So grace is that voice on the inside of us, you know, in them relationships where you like, it's just, just something about you, I just don't know. That's grace. Grace is what teaches you to not do wrong. And so when the cop didn't give you a ticket, when you deserved the ticket, that was mercy. But let's just say, you're going 65 in a 30, the cop pulls you over and only gives you a written warning. Was that grace or was that mercy? That was mercy. Because you didn't get what you deserve. But what was the consequence that you still receive something? And so in the Bible, grace, mercy, and consequence has always been in operation since the Garden of Eden. Grace taught Adam and Eve to not touch of the one tree in the garden. That was grace. Mercy, when they missed the mark, stepped in. And how many of us read in Romans chapter 3, the wages of sin is what? So if God was just this hard judge from the beginning and he was out to get people, then the moment that they partook of that tree, Adam and Eve should have died. But mercy stepped in and caused them not to die. But still in their action, in God's love, there was consequence for their actions. And the consequence is that they had to leave a place that was already established for them. And so we're still, we're living in a dispensation where grace, mercy, and consequence is constantly in operation. And it's not God that's punishing us as much as it is we're punishing ourselves. But because... If we're not trained as far as leadership principles, a true leader takes responsibility of their life and those that are responsible to them. They don't say, well, it must be the Lord's will. Because God sometimes is double-minded if I leave it up to Christians to tell me what the Lord said. One day the Lord said this concerning my future. Thursday... The Lord, he changed his mind. He wanted me to take this new route. It's not God. He's constant. And we have to be honest with ourselves and say, I just messed up. But how many know God's grace covers every single mess up we all have ever made, past, present, and future? And that's something to be excited about. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, and this is also a slide, the next slide. God is unconditionally committed to us. If I say God is unconditionally committed to me. You gotta, you gotta get that down in your heart. Say, God is unconditionally committed to me. Now, in the summer of 2012, don't tell Pastor Gregory I said this, but he and I had to go to a conference 
that we believe taught us how to minister to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender demographic that we deal with. And it was just he and I, and we thought we did the research and found the right conference up way north in Minnesota, just us two from Monday all the way to Friday. We get there and figure out that it was not a conference for people wanting to learn how to minister to lesbian, gays, bi's, and transgender individuals. We found out it was a conference for lesbian, gays, bisexuals, and transgenders. And me and my pastor spending a week together at this conference. You talk about the most uncomfortable week of my life. Who is that with you? It's my pastor. Oh, it's your pastor. No, no, it's not. No, we don't. No, no. Do you all need dorm rooms? No, we have a hotel. That sounded so horrible. Scratch all of that. And we were wondering the whole time, like, man, they seem kind of close. It's just maybe that's how they are in Minnesota. I don't don't know. (laughs) And for an entire week, we sat and listen to the testimonies of that community. Now, mind you, I was raised good in the word. And if you in sin, God ain't talking to you. If you in sin, better get right or get left. Get your house in order. Because Jesus coming to town. And I'm looking at the whole thing, I said, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. It's about to just, just light this whole place on fire any moment. <laughs> and around Wednesday, I began to identify with my fellow brothers and sisters who are my Christian family who have issues and struggles in this particular area that just look differently than my issues and struggles, but yet we both had issues and struggles in areas of our life, and just because I sin in this area and I don't sin in this area doesn't make my sin better than this person's sin over here because at the end of the day, it's both sin, and all who have sinned are in need of a Savior. And so I learned that I can't look at them differently. I had to learn how to separate the person from the issue and know that the person isn't the issue and understanding that we all have some issues if we just sat around and talked for a little bit. And there was a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I mean, my hallmark my whole life was 1 Corinthians 6, 20. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and body, which belong to God. That was my whole life. But if I backed up seven verses, it says, and liars and fornicators and those who are unclean and those who are effeminate shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But if I, when I kept reading, it said, and such were some of you. And I thought about that my identity changed the moment that I accepted Jesus into my life. And I accepted Jesus into my heart. And so because Jesus and God, who is my father, determines my identity, my identity no longer is based on what I do. It's in who I am. And when I realize through my identity in him, it changes how I act and treat others. But that started it because now I'm wrestling with all types of theology now. And I'm going back home 
messed up because I've seen the word from a New Testament perspective that I had never seen before. See, I've seen the word from a gospel perspective. But one thing about the gospels is that when you're talking about a will and you're talking about a testament, a testament or will cannot be enforced until the person dies. So when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the New Testament doesn't technically start until Jesus dies on the cross. And so I was messed up for about five more months. And then I was a youth minister at the time and I had a youth come up to me and I believe Sandy Hook happened and, 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 and youth have real questions and you can't lie to them or else you lose credibility. And, and, and they came to me and said, you know, Minister Vinny, why do bad things happen to good people? And I didn't have an answer. I didn't want to spiritualize and say, well, you know, the Lord work in mysterious ways. You never know. He sit high, he look low. I didn't didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to have a real answer. And I went to the word of God. And it's this next scripture that we're going to go to. Hebrews chapter 13. Verses 5 and 6 in the Amplified Version. Hebrews 13. 5 and 6 in the Amplified Version. And so now I'm, I'm studying my message because at the time we had Friday night service. And the Lord took me to this scripture to amplify it. And it starts and says, let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions. And be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. Now here's the next phrase that changed the game for me. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. Now, I'm going to take you to my house, and at the time we were in a nice little two-bedroom startup on the come up, and uh, I had a little bedroom slash office slash storage slash space in that room and I remember sitting in there and I read that and I said okay and I will not in any way yeah 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 but but you 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 do know unconfessed sin we lose fellowship and Jesus said no 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 read this scripture it says I will not in any way fail you no 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 Lord because in first John 1 9 it says if we don't confess our sins you will not talk to us he said I didn't say that and, and, and he said something that was so deep to me. He said, will you stop allowing your theology from allowing me to d- download revelation to you? Some of our theology is getting in the way of the words we're actually reading on the page. And so when I realized that I'm having an argument with God about his word, I felt dumb. I felt that there was something wrong with that picture that the one who penned this, I'm telling him what it should have said because there's no way I could understand and wrap my mind behind, God, you never want to leave me. God, you never want to forsake me. And at those moment, in that moment, I thought about some stuff I did. And I said, even in that, you didn't leave me. He said, nope, in no way. 
Will I ever? No, never. Not one time. Yeah, but God, what about the time that I didn't do this right? Nope, not in any way. Not ever. No, never. There's no possible way. It's right here in the word. God is unconditionally, unconditionally. And when we're talking about his blessing, we're not talking about physical stuff. We're talking about his presence. Physical stuff can come and go. We're talking about the presence of God that produces things. He said, I'm not going to leave you. And so if you ever for one moment thought that because of something you did, God would withdraw his support from you, put this scripture where that bad thinking resided. I want us to put the next slide up on the board. Because we now have to resolve within us either God is reactive or if we move the sea, he's creative. What do I mean by that? If what I do causes God to change toward me, that would make me God. Because I didn't serve when I said I was going to serve. That's why the hand of God is against my house. That would make me the created. I created the issue. God reacted to me. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created before you even thought of. Last week, my wife and I, we were out, and we were ministering, and prior to getting up to speak, I was hit with the worst ailment I have ever been hit with in my life. Y'all, I thought it was the big one. I I didn't know. It, It was so bad, I wanted to cry. But because her dad was in the house and you can't have a man hear you cry, I just had to have him thug tears. Just like, <sighs> I couldn't think. I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. I had no strength. I had nothing. And I am the guest speaker at a major church in this area in 45 minutes. And I'm at the house, just can't do anything. I just said, God, you love these people so much. And all I have is just a willing heart to do what you brought us to do in this area. Now, immediately, I didn't get better. But every time I took a step, I sensed more strength, sensed more strength. But 15 minutes prior to service, still couldn't speak, still had no strength to be able to stand up and deliver a message. It took me all the way until I got behind the podium and they introduced me to the people that there was this supernatural grace that came on me that wiped out every single symptom. For me, it was the biggest lesson of my life. It showed me that God don't need me. 
I get the opportunity to do what I'm doing, but he doesn't need my smarts. He doesn't need anything from me. He just wants a willing vessel to just allow him to operate through them. And then that message went over. I don't even know what I said. Don't care. Just know it was full altar call. We're still getting testimonies from it. And I was incapable of talking. God doesn't need you to bless you. He needs you to get out of the way so that he can bless you. The biggest, I, I, I literally came back and I'm like, I don't care. If God didn't say it, I don't care. <laughs> like that Instagram post, I don't even give a bother. <laughs> Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. This radical grace is here for you. And if you've ever disqualified yourself from anything because of just a wrong way of thinking or you thought God was some way different, tonight, just tonight, just start over. Start over and say, God, I'm here. You show me what to do. You show me what to say. So I went from Hebrews 13 to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For further reading, note to yourself to start at verse 4, because it talks about why you weren't even born again. This is what he was willing to do for you. Now, I want you all to think about this. If you were an enemy of someone and they were willing to give you their very best, how much more when you're a child? How much more? When, when, when you were an enemy to God, he was willing to bankrupt heaven so that you could live a prosperous life. When you were his, think about your enemy right now. And you bankrupt all of your accounts, all of your investments, all of your security, because at the time he sent Jesus, Jesus was the only begotten. There wasn't a, Back up, begotten. And he said, I, I want my enemies to know how much I love them. I want my enemies to know how much I am willing to do for them. I want my enemies to know that there is nothing I would withhold from you. My enemy. So then we become children of God and we think God gets conditional all of a sudden. We think that God changes up his standards and his requirements. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Now unto him who gives seed to the sower. Without him giving you seed, you could never sow. Without you ever sowing, you can never receive. Without you ever receiving, you're doomed to a life of poverty and destruction. But who initiated that? We initiate nothing. We respond to everything. When we were singing, let us become more aware of your goodness. That is the best prayer you could say. Because there are days that you leave life and go to bed and leave an amount of grace on the table. 
all because you think you don't deserve. Now, until I get myself together, I really don't. Self-sabotaging. Happens naturally in relationships. You get dogged out your whole life, finally get a good guy. Mm Mm-mm, he too good. (laughs) Same thing with God. Because life has been so tough, we self-sabotage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and you had something to do with it. Amen? That's not what it says? It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and what? So you couldn't get yourself saved, could you? So it's not going to be you that loses it either. You had nothing to do with it. It's the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul says in other epistles that the only time I'm boasting is in the fact that God and his grace is sufficient. When you start bragging and when you start boasting, you subconsciously say, I'm responsible for these covenant blessings in my life. I need you to realize there is no good thing in your life that you had anything to do with. As much as I would like to think it was my cold-hearted conversation game that got my wife, I am realizing the longer we're married, uh uh-uh, that was Jesus. (laughs) I didn't do nothing special. I wasn't this stellar single Christian and it qualified me to be this guy ready to get married. No, I I don't know how it happened. I was just eating some Wendy's. I looked over at Chick-fil-A, saw the show, hollered at it, end of the story. It was nothing spiritual about it. (laughs) We put ourselves through all these rigors, and if you put yourself through all these little rigors, when that person does come, you're going to be cocky and think that I did this to deserve them. Instead of being humble and appreciating I'll never be good enough, ever be good enough for the grace of God. I I, I don't. I don't. Even to this day, there are things that I'm asked to do and things that I do. Can I be honest with you all? I don't know why. In my personal prayer time, I find myself talking to God saying, God, if you don't help me today, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm in over my head. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need you. There are people even right now in this room who listen to me that have children older than me. I'm not good enough, but he is. And this radical grace desires to transform your life and take you places that you couldn't even imagine. There was a time when, when uh, about three years ago, right after we started getting the scriptures I'm sharing with you in our own life, my wife and I, we sat down and said, let's go ahead and do Dave Ramsey. And after we did Dave Ramsey, uh, I realized that I didn't want to do Dave Ramsey. And, <laughs> and there was a certain amount that we needed every month. And by my regular job, I could not get it. And so I, I went back and, and I said to self, self, we need to figure out how to get this paper up, this money, this liquid. 
And I said, I got it. Although I work for a church, I don't work every day. So I can get a second job working overnight at Kroger across the street from the church and just leave there and go right to work. And then I can put my couple hours a week into this different account and we can go ahead and accelerate this. And I told my wife, I said, babe, I got the plan. She said, all right, Mr. Grace, man. That sounded like you thought of that. I said, I did. Is <laughs> why don't you go back and believe in the grace that you're starting to teach? I was going to do that anyway. <laughs> and I went back to God and I said, God, we've got this need. We want to do this. I currently don't have it. Every two weeks, I need you to provide a situation that makes this number possible. It wasn't the next day I got a call out the blue for someone that just wanted my advice every so often, but the retainer they were willing to contract me for was what two months of working overnight would have been. So it took a three-year project and made it a one-year project. How did they get my number? I don't know, don't care. You've got to get out of God's way. Stop telling him what he can't do in your life because of your track record. If he cared about your track record, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. It's about Christ's track record. And when you go praying, Pray according to the track record that's recorded in Scripture. My prayer life shifted. It wasn't anymore, Lord, won't you please? Oh, Lord, won't you please? I've been fasting, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I have. No. When I fast now, I'm fasting to deny the voice of the flesh so I could be aware of what God already provided. You know, God already provided your answer before you had a problem. And your flesh gets in the way. It's not that you're fasting, God hits a bell and goes, my child number 568,451 has prayed 12 hours. Send it on down. Send it on down. See, anytime you give, you do, you are for God to do, you're trying to be creative. But you're not being creative, you're being manipulative. Now, there are certain laws that are in the the earth. Let me balance this out. Just like there's the law of gravity, there's the law of lift. Okay? When we say under grace, there is no law, we're not saying that there is no such thing ever as a law ever again. We're saying under grace, the Mosaic law is no longer in force. The law that kicks in is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You can read further on that in Romans chapter 3. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we, in essence, take the law of lift or the law of spirit of life that keeps us going above the law of gravity or the law of sin and death. But now, if by consequence I choose to operate in the law of sin and death, I'm going to reap the benefits of the law of sin and death when they were never created 
for me. So this entire New Testament is all can be summarized as God's wisdom to help you stop busting your head. That's the whole New Testament. Because there's not going to be a scripture that manipulates you to do anything. You still have to make a choice. We could, we could have a singles conference and, and make all the singles just fast for 40 days and 40 nights. But if you don't make a choice to live according to the word of God, you still going to be freaky. It's not a bunch of words. It's a heart decision. Am I going to line up with what the word of God says? My time is over. Let me end with this one piece. You guys can be up there. Romans 1.17. This is a revelation, so I said I'm not really trying to rush through this because even when bad things happen to you, I don't want you to believe that it's God who's doing that to you to teach you a lesson. This whole sovereign peace, the sovereignty of God. Well, it must be the Lord's will. All right? Then we've got to apply that to everything. So if you leave a banana on the counter for three weeks, was the Lord's will that that banana turned that way? Was that, was that the Lord's will? That was your will for leaving the banana on the counter. But you have a human responsibility to either eat that banana before it goes bad or give it away. No, see, God's will is that we take our rightful place and our authority. So I'll close with this one thought, and I'm really sensing I probably need to keep going one day. Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. 6. All right, let's repeat that. Romans 1, 17, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those are connected passages of Scripture. The just shall live by faith. It takes faith to please God. That means the only thing that pleases God is me believing that I am just. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What pleases God is for me to believe that I am just. Just means righteous because of what Christ has done. So God is pleased when I trust in what Christ did instead of what I do. So when I don't believe that I am just, God isn't pleased because I'm trying to take my works to the altar of sacrifice, then the finished works of Christ to the altar of sacrifice. And no one would be happy if their son died for you and you rejected that sacrifice and tried to put yourself in there. But it's not 
Oh, I don't know if my faith is strong enough. God knows your faith not strong enough. When you got saved, your faith wasn't strong enough to receive all of Jesus. That's why he said it's just a mustard seed of faith. If you could just believe. He didn't say, quote, 12 chapters in the Bible. He said, believe. He didn't say live right for 17 years. He said, believe. He didn't say tithe for 500 days. He said, believe. And when you believe, it causes you to live right. When you believe, it causes you to tithe. But your actions don't manipulate God to do something good for you. And that's it for right now. All right, time out, we're done. (laughs) But one day, I want to be able to help people understand in context and in principle, 1 John 1, 9. That is our biggest hangup in the body of Christ is how we properly apply 1 John 1, 9. There is a way that it works for unbelievers, and there's a way that it works for believers. And that's a huge piece. Because if you feel like God is feeling some type of way about you, you're not going to want to talk to him. You're going to want to avoid him. You're not going to want to go in church because he might tell my business. When we get to that point, I want to show you. It's all about God trying to help you live out this radical grace. Amen. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to offer an invitation to a group of people.